0: M. S. W. Media. Welcome-
1: to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there.
2: The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike So yeah, now it's clean up on Aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on Aisle 45.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's Wednesday, June 1st, and this episode is number 72. I'm your co-host, Allison Gill, and with me, filling in for Andrew Torres, is ace associate and pop lawyer extraordinaire, Morgan Stringer. How are you, Morgan?
3: I am good. Um, Thank goodness I had today off because I've had I've been doing I've been doing stuff nonstop. So (laughs) um, I think I need to retry a day off, but um, but it's fine.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that sort of always kind of happens on holiday weekends. I'm like, Oh, a day off and then it's more work than usual. But I'm really excited to have you here. We're gonna go over a couple things. uh, But before we dive into everything, I want to thank our new patrons over at patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod that's aisle 45 pod thank you to molly johnson robin ross keely with a c and meal 3 and
3: remember that you too can get a shout out by heading over to patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod and pledging as little as a buck an episode you'll get the ad-free version of a show you also get bonus hangouts and episodes and now on with the show
0: yeah we definitely need to have you on one of these bonus hangouts, Morgan. We need to bring you in. everybody loves you. that'd be fun yeah it's 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 quite yeah, we all just like ha- sip on a little beverage and 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 just we you know just talk law. It's pretty interesting uh all right, speaking of law, we have a couple of brief updates that Andrew and I are gonna go over in way more depth next week, but uh I wanted to just touch on some highlights here. They both involve stuff that the January sixth committee is trying to get. And that's the RNC stuff and the John Eastman stuff. And first up, uh, let's talk about those Eastman emails.
3: Yeah. So as we know, Eastman filed a bonkers uh, 60-page briefing as to why none of the 601 documents that Judge Carter is reviewing in camera should be turned over to the select committee. And AG, you and Andrew went over that insane filing last week with Andrew saying it was actually sanctionable.
0: Yeah, he, he was he was pissed. He was uh, on one. He, <laughs> yeah, he was on one for reals. And uh I actually reached out to some committee feelers that I have and I was like, Anybody looking into sanctions for this filing? But now, uh and you know, we went over that last week, but now we have the committee's response to that filing. And it came with a they used all the pages that they could muster as well, which I think was forty. And it came with a bunch of attachments backing up their arguments. So let's talk about some of the highlights, because I do have some favorites. And the first, <laughs> the first favorite part I have is, you know, if you remember from last week, Eastman's lawyers went over all the ways that uh, the election was stolen and all the different election frauds uh, that didn't actually occur, but they argued as if they did, because Eastman's argument is that all of his documents and communications with Trump and everyone who's ever known Trump since the beginning of time are privileged because they actually believe the election was stolen. And uh, the committee debunks, with evidence and testimony, each and every fraudulent claim that Eastman's attorney made in the filing. And here's my favorite. I'll just read it to you. Other communications also undermine Dr. Eastman's assertions that his advice was predicated on a genuine belief That the 2020 election had been tainted by fraud. In an exchange between Dr. Eastman, Cleta Mitchell, and several others on January 2nd, right, that's just four days before the attack on the Capitol, Cleta Mitchell asked Eastman for information on election fraud and persuasive legal arguments to pass to members of Congress and senators who are now clamoring for facts and data regarding illegal votes. Dr. Eastman first responded that because serious forensic investigations have been blocked at every turn, I've been focusing on the clear violations of state law, offering an example from Georgia. Cleta Mitchell then replied, What's missing in any similar information in other states of the kind we assembled in Georgia? That's what we're asking. Does it exist elsewhere? Dr. Eastman responded, No idea. I haven't even had a chance to look at that website link I sent you. (laughs) But I was told everything is assembled there. If that's not the case, is that not the case? And then when Dr. Eastman later offered to see if the Trump campaign had this information, Cleta Mitchell responded, I can tell you now that I don't think it exists, but if you can figure it out, members of Congress are desperate for it. Unquote.
3: (laughs) oh yeah yeah it doesn't look good i love i do love that they brought a lot of receipts though with all the attachments they're like um here's showing that everything you said is nonsense and here's by the way a bunch of other um documents showing that but yeah no i love that he's just sending random links to people being like yeah this says what i say and they're like um, uh, does it i don't know
0: you figured <laughs> i didn't out. actually read it yeah <laughs> yeah like lord a mess yeah and he debunked all. They debunked all of it too. And then, and then they even brought up. And I know you'd love this. They brought up like all those old Kraken lawsuit affidavits. Oh, God. and are, they're like, look, they're sanctioned for not following up on those and not checking to see if those are real. And now you're trying to use them again. They've been sanctioned for what you're trying to do right now, in this court filing. It was it was bonkers. Um, another funny thing, Eastman argued that one judge, you know, Judge Nichols, he dismissed that. 1512 18 u.s code 1512 c2 obstructing an official proceeding charge he did that one time uh and the commit and eastman's like see see obstructing an official proceeding isn't even a thing and the committee's like um yeah but 11 other (laughs) judges didn't (laughs) so and there's also 18 u.s code 371 so anyway you know sort of whatever so that was a pretty funny part
3: yeah. And, and which that's to me, it's like, you know, nine out of every 10 dentists or whatever. And he's like, I found the one. Yeah. It's just insane. It's when like, it's, yeah. And
0: it's Gosar. It's- <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. It's not even a, yeah, it's, it's just an insane person. So, um, so yeah, I, I thought that was wild of, of you to make that claim where there are specifically so many other things that where the thing that you say happened, like did not happen. It, it's mind boggling. It's like, I wouldn't bring that up. It's your motion. You can put what you want in your motion.
0: It's yeah. fine. You get to pick and choose. No one made you do this. Yeah. And the committee brought up the fact that the judge already decided on that. Like, yeah. you know, when, remember when Judge Carter already made the determination beyond a preponderance of the evidence that that, that happened. so, mm, eh, you know, and then so they argue that. And then finally, my last favorite part is where Eastman cites the Dinesh D'Souza movie, 2,000 Mules, as evidence uh, that they thought, you know, that voter election fraud is real. And uh, the committee points out that the filmmaker admitted that he didn't actually find a single instance of voter fraud. And so that was just kind of, that just made me laugh.
3: Also, don't cite Dinesh D'Souza movies as evidence, other than if it's to say, you know, just how terrible Dinesh D'Souza is at everything. That's the only time you should bring them up. They're, they aren't evidence. Stop doing that. Again, it is your motion. You did not have to include this.
0: <laughs> That's the best part. It's, I think they just wanted to use all sixty pages. Um, so those those are some highlights. Andrew and I are going to go uh, over this in depth, more in depth next week. But uh, I, I couldn't not talk about those little little bits, and I'm sure we'll bring them up again. So thank you for indulging me, Morgan.
3: Oh, always. I, I love to talk about a bonkers motion where it makes me feel so much more adequate at my job. Um, <laughs> I'm just like, am do I have imposter syndrome? And it's like, no, no there are genuine imposters running around. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's all good. So uh, next up is that other case you wanted to talk about, which is the RNC documents from their vendor Salesforce, a three-judge panel on the D.C. DC Circuit Court of Appeals, and this was Trump's only three nominees he got to that circuit. So out of all the judges they pulled for that panel, it was the only three that Trump had on, that, um, on the D.C. Court of Appeals. They reversed the district court's ruling that the third party holder of that information, which is Salesforce, had to hand over RNC records to the January 6th committee.
0: Yeah. So so this means that the RNC or rather Salesforce, at least for now, no longer has to submit that information to the committee, although Salesforce was already to do it. They're like, yeah, we we actually we're concerned, too, about the shit that we were putting out for the RNC. But now they don't have to hand that stuff over, at yeah. least for now.
3: And they yeah, they've been ordered essentially. Yeah, not to. So, so yeah, that's exactly right. So the January 6th committee subpoenaed these records in February, and these records contain metrics of the RNC's post-election fundraising campaign. So the committee subpoenaed these to see how the RNC's messaging and fundraising efforts were amplifying false claims that the election was stolen, you know, fraudulent votes, you know, Dinesh D'Souza type stuff, and how this contributed to radicalization that led to January 6th attack on the Capitol.
0: Yeah, right, and also perhaps defrauding donors. And, and House Counsel Doug Letter filed a motion where he asks that the appellate panel set a briefing schedule on June 24th, just after the January 6th hearings are set to close, and until the end of August, when they want to the case to conclude, so that the committee, you know, has time to sit. It's like, we aren't going to get the documents in time for the hearings, but we still want them.
3: Exactly. And this is because the committee knows there's no way they're going to get these RNC records before those initial hearings because, you know, it's a, there's an injunction in place, right? And the ca- there's no way this case is going to be completely done and it's going to work its way through the courts. But letter is asking here about the case conclude by late August when the panel could basically pursue additional hearings after those hearings in June. Or, quote, an ensuing final select committee report recommending legislative action. Also, it appears as if they may obtain this information or attempt to obtain this information through other means. Letter stated that the select committee is going to continue to evaluate its needs for information on these and other related issues as additional material potentially becomes available from other sources. And that's a quote from letter.
0: Yeah, indeed. And that's very interesting, too. Like, what other sources? So so this means that they could still obtain the info, just not directly from Salesforce, the RNC vendor. Uh, it was unfortunate, though, that out of those fucking 11 judges, of which Trump only nominated three, which is quite a bit, uh, that those three judges were pulled for this appellate panel. And, and that's just bad luck of the draw.
3: Yeah, literally the worst luck. Nightmare nightmare rotation, right? Mm -hmm. But hopefully we can still get answers, even though this is definitely a setback. So it looks like what's going to happen here is that the committee is going to look for other avenues to see how the RNC's messaging and fundraising contributed to the belief that the election was stolen, and how that radicalized those who participated in the attack on the Capitol. Like we've talked about Salesforce was even saying, oh, this is this is real dark and concerning and I'm scared. Pick me up, mom. But if they cannot do that, then they're going to try to keep fighting this case through the courts and perhaps hold additional hearings in August, but hopefully they will be able to obtain this information from another source.
0: Yeah. And I'm very interested as to what that other source could be. Um, Perhaps somebody who they've interviewed that works for Salesforce. I mean, it's, it's hard to know uh, until we, until we actually know. Um, And, and, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, August, that's so far, and then November's the election, and then the Congress is over. No matter who wins in November, this Congress ends at the end of the year, um, whether whether Democrats or Republicans uh, win, uh, the, you know, the House. Uh, and so theres I just want to remind everybody there's plenty of time between August and December to get additional information out through, f- through the committee. Um, so hopefully we'll get to see that. All right, before we get to comings and goings, we have a message from Andrew himself out floating on the deep blue sea right now. Let's take a listen.
4: Hi, this is Andrew Torres of the Opening Arguments podcast, and this is a call to action. It's a way you can make a difference just by sending an email. This is a baseball story that's not about baseball. Gabe Kapler is the reigning National League Manager of the Year. Last year, he led the San Francisco Giants to 107 wins, which is the most ever it goes back to 1883 this year the giants are 25 and 21 they're one of the better teams in the league and yet some people want gabe kapler fired and as you might suspect it's for reasons that have nothing to do with baseball you see last friday in the wake of the uvalde school shooting kapler wrote a heart-wrenching blog post called home of the brave question mark i was going to read some of of the most moving parts but I realized it's all moving. Here are his words. The day 19 children and two teachers were murdered, we held a moment of silence at sporting events around the country. Then we played the national anthem, and we went on with our lives. Players, staff, and fans stood for the moment of silence, grieving the lives lost. And then we, myself included, continued to stand, proudly proclaiming ourselves the land of the free and the home of the brave. We didn't stop to reflect on whether we're actually free and brave after this horrific event. We just stood at attention. When I was the same age as the children in Uvalde, my father taught me to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance when I believed my country was representing its people well, or to protest and stay seated when it wasn't. I don't believe it is representing us well right now. This particular time, an 18-year-old walked into a store bought multiple assault rifles and hundreds of rounds of ammunition, walked into a school with an armed resource officer in its own police district, and was able to murder children for nearly an hour. Parents begged and pleaded with police officers to do something. Police officers who had weapons and who received nearly 40% of the city's funding as their children were being murdered. We elect our politicians to represent our interests. Immediately following the shooting... We were told we needed locked doors and armed teachers. We were given thoughts and prayers. We were told it could have been worse, and we just need love. But we weren't given bravery, and we aren't free. The police on the scene put a mother in handcuffs as she begged them to go in and save her children. They blocked parents trying to organize to charge in to stop the shooter, including a father who learned his daughter was murdered while he argued with the cops. We aren't free when politicians decide that the lobbyists and the gun industries are more important than our children's freedom to go to school without needing bulletproof backpacks and active shooter drills. I'm often struck before our games by the lack of delivery of the promise of what our national anthem represents. We stand in honor of a country where we elect representatives to serve us, to thoughtfully consider and enact legislation that protects the interests of all the people in this country and to move this country forward towards the vision of that shining city on the hill. But instead, we thoughtlessly link our moment of silence and grief with the equally thoughtless display of celebration for a country that refuses to take up the concept of controlling the sale of weapons used nearly exclusively for the mass slaughter of human beings. We have our moment over and over, and then we move on without demanding real change from the people we empower to make those changes. We stand, we bow our heads, and the people in power leave on recess, celebrating their own patriotism at every turn. Every time I place my hand over my heart and remove my hat, I'm participating in a self-congratulatory glorification of the only country where these mass shootings take place. On Wednesday, I walked out onto the field. I listened to the announcement as we honored the victims in Uvalde. I bowed my head. I stood for the national anthem. Metallica riffed on City Connect guitars. My brain said, drop to a knee. My body didn't listen. I wanted to walk back inside. Instead, I froze. I felt like a coward. I didn't want to call attention to myself. I didn't want to take away from the victims or their families. This was a baseball game. There was a rock band. There were lights, pageantry. I knew that thousands of people were using this game to escape the horrors of the world for just a little bit. I knew that thousands more wouldn't understand the gesture, would take it as an offense to the military, to veterans, to themselves. But I am not okay with the state of this country. I wish I hadn't let my discomfort compromise my integrity. I wish that I could have demonstrated what I learned from my dad, that when you're dissatisfied with your country, you let it be known through protest. The home of the brave should encourage this. And that's it. Gabe Kapler announced he wasn't going to mindlessly trot out onto the field and place his hand over his heart anymore. He was going to use his position, his visibility, to do what he could to stand for change. Now, you may know San Francisco is the town where an African-American quarterback sending a similar message got blackballed out of the league for quietly taking a knee during the national anthem. I don't know the full story there, but I do know that right now, the same people that drummed out Colin Kaepernick, led by ex-Giants ballplayer Aubrey Huff, a MAGA hat-wearing, true-believing Trumper, are organizing their followers to flood the Giants with complaints about Gabe Kapler. And they have. Hate is a powerful motivator. And the Giants are a business. They care about their bottom line. The risk that Gabe Kapler gets fired over this is real. It's happened before. Unless we show them that courage and social change can be good for business, too. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take 30 seconds and send an email to the Giants. I'm gonna give you the email addresses in a minute. And I want you to say three simple things in your own words. They are, one, I stand with Gabe Kapler. I support the message. Two, I applaud the Giants for having the courage to back their manager. I applaud the Giants for standing against gun violence, and for not shutting him down. And number three, and this is the important part, I'll be supporting the team financially. Listening to games, going to games, buying a Gabe Kapler jersey, telling my friends to do the same, whatever. And that's it. I know a lot of you feel the same way I do. And right now, our voices are being overwhelmed. They are being drowned out by right-wing hate monsters who are boycotting the Giants, threatening never to go to games, threatening not to buy merchandise until Kapler gets fired. So if you agree with Gabe Kapler's message, you were at all moved by what he said. Let's let his bosses know that we support him. That's the president of baseball operations, Farhan Zaidi, and the CEO, Larry Baer, B-A-E-R. Their email addresses are, get out a pen and paper, your computer, fzaidi at sfgiants.com. That is F-Z-A-I-D-I at S-F-G-I-A-N-T-S dot C-O-M. And lbear at sfgiants.com. L-B-A-E-R at S-F-G-I-A-N-T-S dot com. That's fzaidi at sfgiants.com and lbear at sfgiants.com. Thank you so much for listening to this. Thank you for writing emails. Together we can make a difference.
0: All right, thank you Andrew. I love those little like calls to action, things that people can do that are simple that really make a difference, you know. It's great to hear. Uh, And we end, as always, with comings and goings. President Biden announced that John Kirby, who is currently the assistant to the Secretary of Defense for Public Affairs, will be the new National Security Council coordinator for strategic communications at the White House. In this role, Kirby will coordinate interagency efforts to explain United States policy and will serve as a senior administration voice on related matters, including as appropriate at the White House podium. This position will be housed at the NSC and report to the National Security Advisor.
3: Welcome aboard. The administration's serious success in Ukraine needs to be touted and shared, and almost nobody knows the amazing job that he has done, which is how I read this appointment.
0: Yeah, right? Sort of like a, wow. The, like Because the, the, all of that, you know, all of that intel that, that we had, that we actually released to stay ahead of what Russia was doing, I thought was a really, really good move. Uh, And of course, President Biden continues to fill out the executive branch by nominating Amy Solomon as Assistant Attorney General for the Office of Justice Programs, Melancy Harris as Undersecretary of Defense for Security and Intelligence, Joey R. Hood as the Ambassador to the Republic of Tunisia, Jonathan Hennick as the Ambassador to the Republic of Uzbekistan, Richard Glick as the Chair of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, Mark Libby as Ambassador to Azerbaijan. Uh, we have Marcy DeMoore, ambassador to Fiji, Angela Price Aguilar, ambassador to North Macedonia, uh, Guatem Arana, ambassador to the Slovak Republic, Sue Moore, nominee for commissioner of the U.S. Marine Mammal Commission. I, that sounds like a dream job to me.
3: That that is my, that was my dream job, actually, <laughs> when I did ocean law, yes.
0: I wanted to be Amazing. on the Marine Mammal Commission so bad. Ah, that would be so cool. I hope that you get nominated to that position one day. And uh, Andrew Reed, also nominee for commissioner on the u s marine mammal commission, so very cool
3: yeah it's it's a it's um a very important position as well because that mm. um now that we're getting people who are more friendly to the environment and not like, "Oh, it's fine that we let dolphins roll around in oil um so yeah, that's important and President Biden has also announced more judicial nominees that continue to reflect the administration's commitment to diversity on the bench, including Judge Doris Pryor who will become the first woman of color on the Seventh Circuit. We also welcome aboard Rachel S. Blumekatz for the Sixth Circuit. She is a solo practitioner whose practice includes advising progressive candidates as well as civil rights and public interest litigation, which we need to reflect those views and that experience more on the bench. So that's very important. Finally, we congratulate Judge Florence Pan, currently serving on the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia as a nominee for the D.C. Circuit, which could really use her. Yeah, especially
0: when we're pulling these Trump nominees on the appellate court, we got to start backfilling that stuff. Yeah, uh, I have a I have a personal comings and goings uh, to announce. Uh, I got a note from my lawyer, who was my attorney when Trump, mm, we'll just say, wrongfully terminated me from my position at the federal government. She was my attorney who helped me um, secure my severance and file all those claims. Uh, she has been confirmed by the Senate as the chair of the Merit Systems Protection Board, so I want to congratulate Kathy Harris, and I uh, look forward to seeing what she can do on that on that board because that's another very important position. And that, uh, Morgan, those are the comings and goings this week.
3: Uh, yeah, a lot a lot of a lot of comings
0: there. Yes, yeah, Lots not of not too many goings. I'm waiting for DeJoy to go, and and I know we just got the last two folks on the postal board so I'm hoping I don't know maybe I'm maybe I'm dreaming
3: yeah I'm I've been hoping for that for a long time but I'm just I'm just like <laughs> what is going on why is he here <laughs> but...
0: yeah and the and the IRS commissioner Reddig, that guy's got to go too. I don't like that guy at all um, but uh, you know he's still here those are the those are like the love the final two hangers on that I wish would go into the goings column but we did have a lot of coming in this week so congratulations welcome aboard can't wait for you all to get to work. Um, and this is just sort of illustrative of how long it takes with, you know, obstructionist Republicans in the Senate to get these jobs confirmed and appointed. It's it's, it's a long time coming. So we appreciate that. And uh, that is the show for today. Again, we're going to be next week, back next week with Andrew. We're going to go over in depth a little of that RNC and Eastman action. Um, do you have anything else you want to uh, talk about today, Morgan? Um. Uh, I mean, no,
3: not really. Just, yeah. I mean, and also you see what happens when the prior administration, you know, either just forgets to appoint people to um, certain posts that we need people in or they appoint absolute clowns so that we have to continuously get rid of. Like I remember, you know, several months in when You know, Joe Biden basically was like, oh, yeah, Dr. Oz technically is a member of the administration. Let me uh, remedy that real quick. Um, We can't have literal scammers working in the government. So. um,
0: We had so many letters go out that were like, you can resign at five today or you're fired. We haven't seen one of those in a while. So I think we've gotten most of them.
3: Yeah. But yeah, it just shows, you know, now it's like, okay, now I need to, you know, put the competent people into place. But. but yeah, uh, I think um, overall, it's, um, we got some good appointments here. Yeah.
0: Well, it was so good to see you. Everybody loves you. And, and I, I haven't seen you in, since the last time you were here. So yeah. it was great to be able to talk to you and discuss these things. We'll be back next week. And uh, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Um, we, we, it's, there's a lot of really bad news uh, going around. And, and it's, it's tough. And, it, and I know that it's hard. So if you need to take a break definitely take a break and we'll see you next week thanks again to our patrons who make this show possible and uh, we'll see you next week i've been allison gill and i've been morgan stringer hope to record with y'all again awesome thank you so much this has been cleanup on aisle 45
1: And And this this is is
2: how we win. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis,